Hey everyone, this is Chris Vaught, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. Sometimes we get out of alignment because of our own sin, but sometimes we get out of alignment because of the sin of others, the choices of others that affects us. Please hear me. It's not always because you sinned. It can be. Only you and God know. But sometimes you get out of alignment because of the sins of others. And thirdly, sometimes we get knocked out of alignment because we live in a sin-cursed world. And bad things do happen to good people who didn't deserve it. There's some of you that in the past year have went through some horrible, painful moments that you don't deserve. And there is no answer on this side of heaven other than we live in a sin-cursed world and one day our prayer and our hope is that Jesus Christ will make all things new. Amen? Amen? And if you don't have faith and hope in that, then you have absolutely nothing to give you comfort and strength for when this world knocks you out of alignment. How many of you have ever been to a chiropractor? Come on, you ever been a chiropractor because you got out of alignment somewhere in your physical body? What happens when you get knocked out of alignment? It hurts. When you get out of alignment, it causes pain. I have a friend in this church who's a chiropractor, and, and, and there's been times I've had to, had to call him up and show up at his house, and he set up the table in his living room to work me over. For years, I've had some issues with my lower back and my neck based from an accident from years ago. And I've been to trainers and, and therapists and chiropractors. I'm doing them all just to relieve the pain sometimes. We all know what that means. When you have pain, what happens is, is it, it'll slow you down. You can't operate at 100%. When you're out of alignment, it causes you pain. It slows you down. And, and it'll steal away your peace because it weighs on you emotionally. And when you're out of alignment, it stays on your mind all the time. You can't get it off your mind. You get up out of a chair, you're thinking, it's going to hurt. And I, call, I catch myself doing this. <laughs> it's not because of my age. I catch myself doing this every once in a while. Something will fall down on the ground, and I know I got to reach down and pick it up. I start grunting before I even start moving. Mm. Pain hadn't come yet. I'm just waiting for it to hit. Anybody else want to testify with your preacher this morning? Please, somebody. And listen, what's happening in the natural body is what is a shadow of what's happening in your spiritual life. God has a purpose for you and God has a plan for you. And ultimately, God wants your life and every aspect of it to be conformed into the image of Jesus. I hope and pray I'm getting this point across. In everything you do in your life, God is ultimately wanting to bring you about so you bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's home, that's career, that's education, that's friendships, that's every area of your life. And when you get out of alignment, it will cause you pain. And it will slow you down. And at times, it will cloud your vision and steal your peace away. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you say, well, why, why is this, Pastor? Because sometimes it's my sin, sometimes sin of someone else, sometimes it's just because of the world I live in. 
Well, I want you to go back to the Garden of Eden with me, and I want you to notice something. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God says to Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat of it. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Question, did God plant the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Why did he plant a tree there if he knew what would happen to Adam and Eve if they ate out of it? Do you see in this verse, God gave Adam a choice? If you eat of it, there's the big thing. If you eat of it, if you do this. So Adam was given a choice. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Wait a minute, preacher. A while ago in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you used the word predestined. So doesn't that mean that all my choices and actions and reactions are predetermined before any of them come out to be? No, 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 no. You got to understand, God sees all in his foreknowledge. So what does that mean? If, God, if you can't surprise God, God sees the end from the beginning and he knows every choice I make, which way it's gonna lead me. So if I turn right, he knows where that leads me. If I turn left, he knows where that will lead me. It doesn't surprise him. But in his sovereignty, he allows me still to have the freedom to make those choices to go right or left. Now, does God have certain plans and purposes for you that is distinct to you? Absolutely. I believe it was for God's foreordained plan. Some of you are going to disagree with this. I believe it was his foreordained plan for me to come to Jackson, Missouri because I had not had this on my radar. This was not on my radar. In fact, I was being hired for a different position in a different city, and this came out and was thrown in my lap, and I fought with God for 10 months. But I'm so glad I came. I believe it was foreordained for me to go into the ministry because God knows I tried not to. I was going, I wanted to do my thing. I had my plans. I knew what I wanted to do and I never could get peace and I could have kept going the way I was going and I would have been a miserable old man, but I had a choice. See, the happiest place you will ever find yourself is when you allow yourself to be aligned with God's plan and purpose for your life. You can go out of that. But if you do, what's going to happen? You're out of alignment. What does out of alignment do? Brings pain, slows you down, clouds your vision, steals your peace. Are y'all with me this morning? So the happiest place to be is to be in alignment with God's will. But God in his love has to give us a measure of freedom. Now, you can argue all day between sovereignty and free will. And, and, and listen, here's the only thing I can tell you. Theologians can't even uh, come to a full agreement on it, but I know this. There is sovereignty and there is free will and all of it is in God's hands and thank God he figures it out. Amen? But here's what we know. God is love. 1 John chapter 4 tells us God is love. And if God is love and he created us last and he created mankind for, his, uh, for a relationship with him, God didn't need us. Do y'all realize that? How many know earth would probably have been a lot better if we hadn't shown up? We kind of make a mess of stuff. Have y'all figured that out yet? Everything we try to create, we leave what behind? Pollution. Have y'all ever noticed that everything God created, there's no pollution? Everything gets recycled and reused? I had that moment in, in high school of biology. I had a Holy Ghost moment studying photosynthesis. And I'm not going to bore you with all that, but man, I, me and Jesus had a time. Because I realized everything God created, nothing is wasted. Everything man tries to create to be God, we always have some waste left over. 
God didn't create us to fix stuff because we mess it all up. God created us to have fellowship with him, to have a relationship with him. Are y'all with me this morning? God wants a relationship with us. Now, any relationship for it to be a true relationship has to be based on love. And if it's based on love, watch this, watch this, watch this. There has to be a measure of free will and free choice because God does not want heartless robots walking around going, it's predestined for me to love God, predestined for me to love God. No, God wants you to choose to love him back. Are y'all with me? So look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Then he defines it. God is love. Shout, yes, he is. And the one who remains in love remains in God. You see that? That's your personal responsibility. How do we stay in alignment with God's love? We remain in his love. We love him back. And God remains in him. How many love the Lord Jesus today? And can I tell you that the reason God loves you and the reason that God has a plan for you and yet gives you free will is the whole reason Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ came to this earth because God loves you and he gave you free will and out of our free will, we get out of alignment with God's plan and God's purpose and to bring us back into alignment, God sent heaven's chiropractor. God sent his son Jesus who can bring you back into realignment and bring you back into the proper order with God and with the purpose and the plan that God has for you and God is a God of realignment. And so Jesus came and listen to Romans Chapter 5, verse 17, if by Adam, by one's man's trespass, death reigned through man. This is why sometimes we get out of alignment by our own sins. Because how many know since Adam, we're all sinners by choice and by nature. And sometimes we get out of alignment because of the sinful choices of someone else. And sometimes it's just the predicament of living in a sin-cursed world. And all that came from Adam. But can I give you some hope this morning? Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness now reign in life through one man, shout his name, who came to realign us? Jesus Christ did. Amen? So, sometimes I catch myself out of alignment. How about you? There may be some of you in this room right now that need to come back into alignment. And you know what the answer is going to be? I'll give you the answer. It doesn't mean you can't come to the series. I'm just going to tell you who the answer is every week of realignment, all right? What's his name? It's Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and tell him that's a good answer. Yeah, tell, tell him Jesus is always a good answer. Jesus Christ is the one who can bring us back in alignment. But can I share with you three necessities if you want God to realign your life today? Because how many today want to glorify God? How many of you want your marriage to glorify God? And how many want your children to glorify God? And how many want your choices to glorify God? And how many just want the peace of God? And it's, re it's, it's available through Jesus Christ. And can I just be honest with you? There's a lot of people. And the reason I feel convicted on this series is there's a lot of people who got knocked out of alignment in 2020. 
The situations of the world, the anger in society, all the mess with the pandemic and, and, and finances and the economy. And, and what we saw was we saw marriages begin to crumble. We saw children uh, being stressed out and full of anxiety. We saw families not know how to handle being quarantined and deal with all the issues that come with it. We still got people today who are just, just don't know how to get through. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ can bring back the alignment. But there's three necessities that's going to have to show up if you want God to realign you. And the first one is this. Write it down. You've got to, have, you've got to make a decision of desperation. A decision of desperation. Let me give you an example out of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 20. The scripture here, the Gospel of Matthew, tells us about two blind men who are sitting on the side of the road. And they heard that Jesus was passing by. And when they did, they cried out. And here's what they did. They said, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. I love this. I love this. Look at verse 31. The crowd demanded them to be quiet. Hush up. Don't you cry out to Jesus. And when the crowd said, Hush up, stay quiet. Look at what the verse says in 31. They cried out the more. Everybody in the room, shout that with me. Come on. They cried out the more. So now they get real loud. And they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Next two words, read them. Jesus stopped. And he called them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, now, did Jesus know what they needed? Come on, church. Did Jesus know what they needed? Did he know it before he ever stopped? But he waited. He waited for them to be at a place of desperation where they said, I'm sick and tired of sitting here. Because you see, in their culture, because of their physical disability, they were considered outcasts. How many are thankful today that God doesn't consider any of you an outcast? He doesn't consider no one an outcast, no matter how bad your situation is. But they were outcasts. They were forced to live by the side of the road and beg for survival. But in that moment, when they heard Jesus was walking by, they cried out. And the crowd said, stop it. You don't need to act like that. You don't need to be desperate. You don't need to cry out to Jesus. Just be satisfied where you are. But when they heard that, they said, I'm not going to be satisfied in this mess anymore. And they cried out even louder. Jesus stopped and said, what do you want? I love that. Jesus didn't say, hey, I know what them boys need. Get them over here. Let me lay hands on them. Even in that moment, Jesus said, what you all want? And they said, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Look at verse 34, three words. Say them, say them, say them. Come on. Moved with compassion. One more time. Right there at home, I want you to say them with me. Moved with compassion. The first step of allowing God to realign you or your marriage or your family or whatever it is that you feel is out of whack this morning is you gotta be desperate enough to say, I'm sick and tired of being in this situation. I'm not staying here any longer. And today, you don't worry about the crowd and you don't worry about what anyone else thinks or says. You cry out to Jesus. And you say, Lord, I believe that you are able to realign my situation. Number two, it's gonna require some devotion. 
Probably the greatest preacher other than Jesus in the New Testament was a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. When you read the New Testament, two-thirds of the letters are his. But Paul was not always known as Paul. For most of his adult life, he was known as Saul up until the moment of his conversion. And he was a Pharisee. He was trained, theologically trained to be a Pharisee. He had a go, and he was to stomp out Christianity among Jewish people. One day he's on his way to Damascus and he is going there to arrest Jews who converted to Christ and he's going to arrest them and put them on trial and some of them will be executed for their faith. And on the road to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus. How many of you have had an encounter with Jesus that shook, that, that shook you to your core? Amen? And it shook Paul to his core. His name was Saul. Later, he'd become known Paul because God would do such a transformation in his life. But he shook him to his core and he blinded him for three days and sent him into Damascus. And a man named Ananias laid his hands on him and prayed and Saul received back his sight. Now, when you read about this story in the book of Acts, remember Acts is a history book over 30 years. And you read verses, chapter nine, verse 19 and 20, it sounds like it's bam, bam, thank you, ma'am, right there all together. You ready? Read it. And after taking some food, he regained his strength and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. Sounds like he got prayed over, ate some dinner, good Baptist, and started preaching, Right? But when you get to Galatians, Paul in his own handwriting tells the church in Galatia a little more detail than what you get in the history book of Acts chapter 9. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart, somebody shout, he foreknew him, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, Read, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had been apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then, after how long? How long? How long? Three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas or Peter. Here's why I share this with you. Sometimes when we get out of alignment, we deal with being out of alignment for years. Then we come to Jesus and expect him to fix it overnight. Say amen. Say amen. Here's what I need you to know. It never will happen until you get desperate enough to call out to Jesus to realign you. And when you do, you're going to have to be devoted to him because it might just take some time. Saul was trained theologically to be a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament. He could quote you the first five books, the Torah, by memory. He is educated. He spent years in training. When God saved him, he saved him, called him to preach. But in that Acts chapter 9, verse 19, where it says, and for some time, that for some time actually is three years of time. Now, why did God make him wait three years before he went to the synagogues and started preaching? It took three years for Paul to, 
go back and study those same Old Testament scriptures and realize Jesus is the Messiah being taught about in all those. Because how are you going to go to a synagogue and convert Jews to Christ without breaking down the Old Testament scripture and showing Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of those? Paul had three years before he ever met Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem. And sometimes we try to make God get in a rush and he starts to adjust us, but we never allow him to have enough time to get us in full alignment. How many's ever been a chiropractor and they said, now you need to come back in three days? Say amen. And how many walked out of the room thinking, I thought once would be enough? But sometimes it takes some time. Somebody shout, you gotta be devoted. Sometimes be patient. Number three, it's gonna take determination. It's impossible for you to fulfill the purpose and the plan that God has for you if you're out of alignment. You've got to make a decision today to say, God, I, I want you in this situation. I want you in my relationships. I want you in my mind, my peace. I want you in my devotion life. I want you in my marriage. I want you with my kids, whatever it is. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. How many has ever noticed that even after you get in alignment, the world can knock you out of alignment six months from now in a wholly different area? This is a lifelong discipleship process. When you get knocked out, you gotta know how to come back. And that's my whole goal here. I want you to know how to come back and, be, and make the decision to cry out to the Lord, to come back and be devoted to the process. And then be determined to protect yourself not to get back in that position again. Let me tell you about a guy named Peter. Everybody shout Peter. Because see, Peter's a great story for us because sometimes we worry about truly giving God 100% because what if, what if I mess up? And I hear this. Well, I just don't know if I can give God 100%. I don't know if I can be sold out to God because what if I can't live up to it? Do you say what if? <laughs> You're giving yourself too much credit. You're going to fall down. You're going to get out of alignment sometime. That's why the word of God is going to help you know what to do when that happens. And Peter's a great example. Here's what I need to challenge you to do. And this isn't on your message notes, but you ought to write it down, tweet it or something. You need to have more faith in the Father to lead you than you do in the devil to deceive you. That's good, isn't it? I can't take no credit for it. Kim Proffer gave me that quote, and I was like, that's good. I'm using that in my sermon. You got to have more faith in the Father to lead you than you do the devil to deceive you. A.K.A. Peter's story. Peter is a disciple of Jesus, and uh, one day in Matthew 16, when they're at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus says, who do men say I am? And Peter comes out with a great confession. You're the Christ, the son of God. And Peter, Jesus is like, Peter, flesh and blood didn't give out to you, but my father did. He says, and I'm gonna give you the keys of the kingdom. You're a piece of the rock, Peter. Wow, what a moment. See, Peter's real name is Simon. Jesus changed it to Peter, meaning a piece of the rock. And so Peter's like, whoo, 
Jesus says, I'm a piece of the rock. I'm in good shape. Then came the Last Supper. And after supper, they go to the garden. And in the garden, when the soldiers showed up, Peter's the one drawing a sword and cutting off a soldier's ear named Malchus. And Peter lets the old Peter come back up. And the situation rises up in Peter that when Peter finds himself around a campfire while Jesus is on trial, the mob says, I believe I saw you with Jesus. Peter says, I don't know no man named Jesus. Then a young girl comes up to him and says, wait a minute, I hear you. I know who you are. I've seen you with Jesus. And the Bible says he began to curse and says, I tell you, I don't know no Jesus. Someone else said, wait a minute, I hear his tone of voice. I heard that voice before. He's a Galilean. He was with Jesus. He said, I tell you, I don't know that man. Three times in the rooster crow. Somebody shout, he got out of alignment. A man who once was given the keys of the kingdom and now denies Jesus three times a night. Jesus needed him the most? Are you kidding me? Jesus is crucified. Peter's not there with him. Three days later, when the resurrection news comes, Peter's locked up in a room for fear and ashamed. He runs to the tomb and he looks in and he realizes Jesus isn't there. Is he risen? I don't know. We do know what Peter did though. He backslid. And he went fishing. One week after the resurrection of Jesus, you come to John chapter 21. And in John chapter 21, Peter is out fishing all night and he done drugged some other disciples backslidden with him into the boat. Come on, somebody. And they're in the boat and they're fishing all night long. And early the next morning, about the third hour of the morning, which is about nine o'clock, they look and see someone standing on the beach and he's got a campfire going and they can smell fish cooking. And they hear a voice shout out, hey, did you catch anything last night? They said, no, not a thing. He said, cast your net on the other side. And when they did, the Bible says so many fish jumped in the net, they couldn't even pull the net in. And John said to Peter, that must be Jesus. And Peter said, you mean that's Jesus? And the Bible says he didn't have no clothes on. He done took his outer garment off. He grabbed it, threw it on, jumped in the water, and swam to shore. He didn't even wait to row the boat. And when he came up on the beach, here's what he saw. Jesus standing by the fire, cooking him food. And the Bible says, Peter was grieved in his heart. Jesus looks at him and says, Come have breakfast. Now, question. Everybody come in here close with me for just a moment. I'm almost done. You're with me? What was Jesus standing around when he denied the Lord three times? A fire? Where did Jesus meet him on the beach? Around a fire? When you, when you get invited into someone's home to sit down at their table and eat with them, what does that say? 
That's an intimate invitation into an intimate moment. Jesus says, come eat breakfast. I cooked you breakfast. And when he came and sat down and ate breakfast, Jesus in front of the disciples. Because when, Jesus, when Peter denied the Lord, did he do it alone or in a crowd? In a crowd. And in front of the disciples, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, by the way, did you notice what name he used? Because when he got out of alignment, he wasn't acting like a piece of the rock, was he? He was acting like his old self. Simon, son of John, do you love me? God isn't so much worried about what you've done or you haven't done. The big question this morning is, do you love me? Not if you've made it all right, if you've kept everything true, if you haven't made any mistakes. That's not the question Jesus wants to ask you today. He's not saying, hey, why did you do that? What were you thinking? He just wants to know, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I'm, I'm so glad he didn't say, well, what were you thinking? Give me a reason. Some of you know Peter said, would have said, I don't know. You ever been there? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep then. Do you see what Jesus did? He gave him a purpose. He gave him a purpose. Third time. Simon, do you love me? Look with me in the Bible. Look at the verses. And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and you would walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to tie you and they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. Look at verse 19. This is something God foreknew. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Whoa, wait a minute. Those he called, he justifies. And those he justifies, he will glorify even when the end looks nothing like what you thought the end would look like. In his death, he would glorify God. And then Jesus gave him two little words. Are you ready for them? Follow me. Say those with me, please. Follow me. I mean, no, God has a plan for you to look more like Jesus. He wants your marriage to look like Jesus. He wants your kids to look like Jesus. He wants your home to look like Jesus. He wants your peace of mind to look like Jesus. He wants you to be transformed in his image. And sometimes this world's gonna knock you down and sometimes people are gonna throw you for a loop and sometimes you're gonna make such horrible decisions that, that you're, gonna, you're gonna wonder, can God do anything with me? And here's your big takeaway. And here's what I don't ever want you to forget, congregation. I don't ever want you to forget this gospel truth. And that is that your past 
doesn't disqualify you from your future because Jesus can realign you for your assignment. Would you say this with me this morning? The past doesn't disqualify you from your future. Jesus can rearrange you for the assignment that you have. The goal today is to be more like Jesus. How many of you want to be more like him today? Thank you for joining us today for the Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our blog, watch past sermons, or find other great resources, check us out at chrisvaught.net, and then check us out on social media. Then tune in again next week, and we will open our Bibles and together pursue after the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us at The Pursuit.